0: Amen. Thank you, Steve. That was excellent. And let's do that. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 13. Once you've turned there, if you would look this way, so I know that you're there, we're going to stop and we're going to have just a moment of silent prayer and ask the Lord to do exactly as we were admonished in Steve's song this morning and ask the Lord to purify our hearts, to cleanse our motives, occupy every part of us that we may live in worship to him today. And especially as we now come before the word of God, that we would come with pliable spirits and open hearts and ready minds to receive and to act upon the truth of the word of God this morning. Acts chapter 13, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses in just a moment. Looks like almost everyone has found it. So we'll go ahead and we're going to have just a moment of silent prayer and then I'll open us in prayer and then we'll get into our message this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we ask the Lord a personal way to do a work in our hearts this morning. Father, even with a very brief prayer... We acknowledge not only your presence, but your power and our need. You alone are holy. And though positionally you have made us holy in Christ and we are sanctified through the blood of Christ, we who have received eternal life by faith in your son, the Lord Jesus. We need you to sanctify our hearts and purify our motives and occupy our thoughts so that we may worship you with every part that as we worship you this morning, we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that we'd not just be filling a pew, making a respectable appearance, coming to maybe hear some new thing or get some practical tip that'll make our life easier. But we come today and we echo the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ that we would be sanctified through the truth. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform us through what we hear today, that we would leave here encouraged, equipped, and transformed. Our prayer also is that those who have never received the gift of eternal life would today understand as the Holy Spirit would illumine their heart and mind and that the seed of the gospel being planted or watered would soon yield a harvest of salvation and that they would believe. And so, Lord, would you be honored now as we open your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Critics of the Bible have often taken Acts chapter 13 and verse 7 as an opportunity to attack the veracity of the scriptures. They would say, and if you study it out in the Greek, it bears it out, that Luke calls Sergius Paulus a proconsul, and they say, ha, see the inaccuracy of Luke? He should have been a prefect. And there's a couple of things that they missed. First of all, in 22 BC, the Caesar actually changed over that provincial government, so that it would be appropriate, not for a prefect to be in control, but a proconsul. There was a difference. And then there's also archaeological evidence. There is a, an inscription, several of them, but one specifically at a town called Soloi uh, in Cyprus. That's just north of Paphos. And it mentions a proconsul named Paulus in the first century A.D., his name also appears along the Tiber River in Rome. There, is, there, there are several monuments along the river naming some of the proconsuls and different things. And uh, Sergius Paulus was one of those that's listed there. In, in about AD 47, he served in that region. Part of his job was to actually control the Tiber River and control it from overflooding its banks. He actually, the Bible calls him an intelligent man here in Acts chapter 13. And he actually wrote a book. It's not in existence. There's only references to it that we have inscriptions, references to a book that he wrote on natural history. So he was a brilliant man. And I think that maybe even as Paul wrote about to the Romans that he saw in the created things the reality or the evidence for an invisible God. And he was searching So look with me this morning at verses one through three. Is first of all, I want us to look at the fact that God commissions faithful servants. In verse one, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And again, what's a prophet? Well, one who foretells the word of God. So it was in the sense of those who were preaching and proclaiming truth. Were they also revealing new truth? Those that were apostles were, because they were the ones through whom directly Jesus had commissioned them. that through His Holy Spirit, they would preach and write down eternal Scripture. And so the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, were the ones through whom the revelation of the Scriptures came, by whereby we have the completed Word of God. But these prophets would proclaim, and even in a sense, not only am I a prophet when I preach the Word of God... But whenever I speak to eschatology, that is, the end times, as the Bible declares what is yet to happen, things like the millennial reign of Christ, and the rapture, the great white throne judgment, things that have not yet happened that the Bible prophesies in that sense. I am prophesying, but only according to Scripture. There is no new revelation. We have the completed revelation of the word of God. But these men were were prophets and teachers. And over in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we see a reference to uh, pastors and teachers. That's one office or or one uh, ministry. And so it's very similar here, prophets and teachers. So I believe that as it's dividing up all of these men, it's not dividing some into prophets and some into teachers. I believe all of these men by name are listed because they were leaders in the church at Antioch. Remember, Antioch was a city, the third largest in the Roman Empire. It had a population estimated between 500 and 800,000 people. And so the people that were being saved at Antioch, and as that was building, matter of fact, it got so big, when Barnabas went to Antioch, sent by the elders in Jerusalem He saw that there were so many people being saved. He needed help in teaching and discipling. And so he actually left a a vibrant ministry and went off in search of Saul, the Apostle Paul, and found him and brought him back to help in that ministry. Now we see that God had brought other leaders or developed other spiritual leaders, and they are listed by name at the church at Antioch. So continuing on, uh, there was uh, Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. A lot of interesting names there and things that we could get into, but um, I I think it would dilute from the the point of where I'm trying to go with the message this morning, Um, except just to say just a very brief thing. It's interesting that Herod the Tetrarch was was brought up with Menaean Herod the Tetrarch was a Christ denier and a persecutor of the church. He is the one who had John the Baptist executed. And yet here is Manan, who is a leader, a prophet and teacher in the church at Antioch. Isn't it interesting? Two guys that grew up together, both uh, from an aristocratic uh, background, and yet one is saved and, and the other lost. In verse two, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So God commissions faithful servants. These spiritually gifted ministers of the word had already been faithfully serving the Lord. Hey, don't expect God to call you to new fields if you're not faithful to labor in the field where you are right now. And yet, let's not be surprised when at Berean Baptist Church, God calls faithful laborers to other places. Someone just recently shared with me that they are probably going to be leaving Berean to, because they have, they have moved further out, and they met a pastor of a local church there, fundamental, independent, Bible preaching, solid church. And they said, This guy said to me, Pastor Todd, we have been meeting people all through the community. We've had gospel opportunities. Me and my wife both have had gospel opportunities. And it's really hard to try to get people to come here. Or if we're saying, they say, well, where do we go to church? To say, well, we go to Berean, but you need to go there. (laughs) But the reason why they're going there is because God's giving them gospel opportunities. They want to help a local church in that area reach that area for the gospel. That's a good reason to leave a church. And you know, while I hate for anybody to leave Berean, it excites me that that's the reason they're leaving. It is a ministry purpose. It is for the sake of the gospel. It is for strengthening a local church. Because you know what? The kingdom of God is not about just Berean Baptist Church. It's about the church. And if God, and and I was sharing this with this person, I said, you know what? I said if Berean is the place where God brings people and we are able to disciple them and we are able to train them and we are develop help them to develop spiritual leadership abilities and then when they get to that point God takes them to other churches where they they don't have that And where it's needed, and they can come alongside a faithful pastor in another ministry and help that ministry to grow and reach that community for the gospel, then God be praised. Because you know what? Someday when we're in eternity, it's not going to matter how many people we accumulated here. It's how many people did we disciple and train who went out and did the work of the ministry. Now, I want to see God grow Berean Baptist Church. Don't misunderstand that. But folks, it's not about numbers and it's not about money, it's about God's glory and it's about an eternal purpose and mission that we are on but God calls those who are faithful and the people that are going to be going to this new area and to another church have been faithfully serving God. And you know what? We sorely miss people like that. (laughs) But you know what that does? It also creates new opportunities for ministry for others. And, and And it puts a sense of urgency of the call on others to take up that banner and to take up that ministry and to continue that faithful service moving forward. And so in these things we rejoice, but God calls those who are already faithfully serving. Don't be expecting to sit in your recliner chair watching the Bulldogs win another football game and all of a sudden an advertisement is going to come on TV and across the screen it's going to say that you're being called to go somewhere in the ministry. Or the guy's just going to flash something across you. No, God calls those who are already faithful serving. Find something to do. Serve God there. And by the way, we got plenty of places where you can start right here at Marine. But find something to do and find a ministry here in your local area and do ministry and serve and be faithful in the field where God has placed you and as you are. If God wants to open that up and he wants to move you to, to different fields or greater fields of harvest, that's his business. But be faithful right now to serve. These men were leaders in the church. They actually were spiritual leaders. The Bible says that Uh, they were they were they ministered and the more for minister was used of priests and leading in corporate worship so these are spiritual leaders these were men that were seeking god's direction i believe that the reason why they were fasting and praying was because they sensed they had been seeing first the church grew from from jerusalem and we know the great commission acts 1 8 jerusalem Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. They're beginning to see and sense what God is doing in Antioch. And and we talked about before how that was an ideal place as a as a launching pad for other missions to reach the gospel in the known world in that day. And I believe that these men are sensing that, but I believe that these men wanted to follow God's direction. They wanted to make sure it wasn't just their own idea, their own agenda. They wanted to do things in God's timing, in God's way. And so they're fasting and praying, seeking God's face, dedicating themselves completely to the will of God and saying, we are willing to do without other things and other necessary things because it's even more necessary, God, that we have your direction and we have your power and we're able to accomplish this mission that you've placed on us. The Holy Spirit chose Paul and Barnabas for this specific mission. And then the church supported these men by fasting in prayer and by showing their approval, by identifying with them, by laying on of their hands. One writer said it's best to think of the laying on of hands in this instance as a symbolic act in which the church recognized the divine call of Barnabas and Saul, expressed its fellowship with them, and sent them forth with its blessing. And the other men in, 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 in verse 1, they stayed at Antioch. Why did they stay in Antioch? Folks, it's a city of between half a million and three-quarters of a million people. There's still a lot of people to be reached with the gospel. There were still a lot of believers to be discipled. So God didn't empty all the leadership at Antioch to all go start new churches. There were folks that stayed in one spot there, at least for that time. And we don't know how God spread them out later. But God wanted there to be solid leadership there to continue to disciple the believers and to continue to reach Antioch and its surrounding area with the gospel. Yet God still separated out Paul and Barnabas. Now remember, it was Barnabas that first went there when he heard that men from Cyprus and Cyrene had gone there and proclaimed the gospel, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, and that people were getting saved. And the Jerusalem church heard about it, and they sent Barnabas 300 miles up to Antioch. And when Barnabas sees it, he rejoices what God has done. And he begins to teach and to train and to preach the gospel and to assist them in the work of the ministry. And then it's too much for him. So he goes and he gets Saul, which we know as Paul, and brings him with him. So these were really the first leaders of the church. And God chose to take them. They were chosen not by the church, not by popular vote, not by consensus of the church leaders. All right, which of us need to go? It was the Spirit of God that said, separate out from me. Paul, or Saul, and Barnabas for this work. So first, God commissions faithful servants. Second of all, faithful servants go when sent. Look at verses 4 and 5. So they, this is Barnabas and Saul, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, which was a seaport. So they went down to Seleucia. Seleucia was 15 miles or so from Antioch. It is commonly believed among Bible scholars that because of its close proximity, the church at Antioch was already evangelizing Seleucia and that there was probably a local assembly of believers in Seleucia. So it doesn't record. Now, they may have evangelized in Seleucia. wouldn't surprise me. But it doesn't record that they stopped there. But that was the launching pad, and it's probably that's why. And then, of course, they sailed thence unto Cyprus. So here's the question. When we're sent, well, where do we go? Because God said, send me forth, Saul and Barnabas, for this mission. Doesn't record necessarily that God says, go first to Cyprus. But it made sense. All right? Because here's Seleucia, here's the port, and it was 15 miles from Cyprus. When you get down there, you could look 130 miles across the Mediterranean, and you could actually see the mountains of the island of Cyprus. It was less than a day's journey sailing to get there. So it was the next logical place besides that Barnabas was from Cyprus so he knew the people he knew the customs he knew the background and he would be able to minister to them I think because of that he also had a, a compassion and affinity a burden to share the gospel with them remember also earlier it was stated that church at Antioch really before there was a church the evangelization evangelization took place from people that were in the Jerusalem Judea area and they were scattered abroad because of the persecution And they headed up along the coast. And some went to Cyprus and Cyrene. And then some of those from Cyprus and Cyrene come over to Antioch. So some of these people that are in Cyprus, from Cyprus, that are now in Antioch are involved in the work of the ministry, say, we're busy here. God has called us here. But we still have a burden to send somebody to Cyprus. We've been praying that the gospel would be sent in a greater way to Cyprus. And I believe that's what happened. And God is answering their prayers. So that's why. But you say, hey, well, where do I go? Go to where you know people need the gospel. Where could that be? That's going to be in your neighborhood. That could be at work. That could be at your community. It could be that you begin to frequent local businesses so that you can have an opportunity to build relationships with people for the sake of the gospel. Go where you know People need the gospel. Ask God to bring people across your path. Ask God to open up divine appointments for you. Now, the Bible also tells them that they had with them John Mark as their minister, verse 5. And they had also John or John Mark for their minister. What does that mean? It basically means he he served them. He did whatever they needed to be done. So what John Mark is doing is he is facilitating Barnabas and Saul with their mission. Whatever they needed to do, so that he, he needed to do for them so that they could focus on the ministry of preaching the gospel and training disciples, he would do that so that they could focus on that ministry. You know, if you're already leading a ministry, Bring somebody alongside you and give them some practical things that they can do to assist you in the work of the ministry. That way they are, they begin to get active serving. They're also listening and seeing what you are doing and observing ministry and you can begin to disciple them for further ministry. And so recruit somebody to come alongside of you, the idea of showing them and giving them something to do, having some accountability, having some fellowship, and helping them to develop whatever spiritual gifts God has given them, their abilities and resources, and to use those in a way that ministers to others for God's glory. And, that, and think about what John Mark did. I mean, John Mark traveled with Barnabas and Saul. Now we remember that there arose a sharp contention, and we'll get to that later, between Barnabas and Saul and and paul and barnabas took john mark with him later on towards the end of his life paul says send john mark for he's profitable to me for the ministry so john mark served with barnabas he served with paul we also know that he served under uh, peter and john mark wrote the gospel of mark and mostly eyewitnesses accounts he would have gotten from the apostle peter and so god greatly used john mark but at this point all he is doing is he, he's a, the chief bottle washer, <laughs> you know, uh, he, he maybe did the laundry. He probably ran errands and, uh, and other things like that. But all along he's learning, he's watching. Maybe he's sitting in on the Bible studies. Maybe he's a silent prayer partner while they're sharing the gospel with somebody. And then maybe one day Barnabas turns to him and says, John Mark, share your testimony of salvation with these people. And man, Jared Mark begins to share his testimony and, and, and God begins to use him and, and maybe, and maybe, uh, Paul, Saul says to him, Hey, listen, next week I want you to teach this class. Here's, here's some of the outline. Here's what I would like you to teach. Let me work with you this week and help you get prepared so that you can teach the class this week. I'll be right there. I'll be a safety net, but I want to help you with this. We don't know what God had exactly or how that worked, but I do know this. You don't hang around men like Barnabas and, and Paul without it affecting you and equipping you for ministry. And so we ought to do that. Hey, listen, uh, if, if, you, if you are looking, if you're not actively serving and you're a new believer, hey, listen, get serving and get observing and and explore what God may have for you. Say, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I don't know what I can do to serve the Lord. Get busy in something. Find something that you can do for the Lord. Simple as it may be, start serving and and ask God to show you and teach you. When, When I was a youth pastor in Longmont, Colorado, we had a guy... One Sunday morning uh, after, the, after the morning service, he came to, to our pastor. I was standing right, right next to our pastor. We were talking with some folks, and, and, and we got to talk to this guy, and he says, Hey, you know what? I haven't been saved very long, and, and I really want to serve God. And he says, um, I was thinking, What can I do to serve God? And I noticed that after the morning service, sometimes the hymn books are put in backwards or upside down, or some are left on the pews. So I'm going to... My ministry is going to be after every service... I'm going to put all the uh, all the hymn books back in the pew racks facing the right way, making sure they all have the same amount in, in every rack and everything like that. And then if there's any that are damaged and need to be replaced, I'll let you know uh, so that we can order more. And that's the way he got serving. Because something as simple as just making sure. But hey, whenever we come in at something somebody else didn't have to do, it was a ministry that he owned. And it was a blessing to come in. And everything is set. You have to look around for a hymn book or anything like that. That was great. And you know what? One thing led to another and God began to take this guy and begin to use him in other areas and what we might term more impactful areas. But you know what? If Jesus says, if you give a cup of water to a child of my name, you've done it unto me. Every time that guy was straightening the the hymns in the pews, he was doing it unto the Lord. He wanted to do something for God and he will not lose his reward for that. And neither will you do something to be serving. Find somebody you can serve with. Start observing how they do ministry. Learn from them. Ask questions. Third, faithful servants share God's word. Look at verses five and six. And they, uh, and when they were at Salamis, that's the, a city on the east side of Cyprus, uh, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sor- unto Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. Well, faithful servants shared God's word. Now, Paul and Barnabas would have been considered Jewish teachers. Some would have considered them rabbis. They would not have called themselves that, but they would have called themselves religious teachers. And so as a, as a Jew that would be considered a religious teacher, it was within the Jewish culture, it was an accepted practice. As a matter of fact, it was a courtesy extended that if you were considered a teacher or a man of the Word, as a Jew of the Old Testament, that you could go into any synagogue anywhere in the known world and you would have an opportunity to open up the Scriptures and read a portion of the Scriptures and to expound on them. Well, man, doesn't that make sense from Paul and and Barnabas being Jewish to be able to go into a synagogue? I mean, that's a common sense already open door right there. Why not take that? you know, folks, we should be praying for that. Lord, give me some, man, this is just a common sense, open door opportunity I already have. Lord, I haven't even been thinking about it in the context of the gospel, but thank you that by your Holy Spirit you just brought to my attention, there's a common sense thing that's already within my sphere of influence or, or, or something that I share in common with others that I can use as a vehicle for the gospel. They took advantage of the opportunity that was afforded to them. Now, verse 5, when it talks about they preach in the synagogues, it doesn't mean that, that we have to stand up and preach. God hasn't called everybody to stand up and publicly address and say, I'm scared to death to get up in front of crowds. I could never do that. You know, uh, maybe even teach in a Sunday school class. I might break out in hives. I'm just not a public speaker. You know what? You don't have to in order to be able to proclaim the gospel to others. You know how most people are one to Christ? It is through a consistent, personal, godly testimony that shows the love of Christ holy living, and takes opportunities and not to, not to every time you're with that person necessarily, give them a gospel presentation, but when there's an appropriate opening in the conversation that's led by the Holy Spirit of God to share the gospel, to share a testimony. It was just an open door opportunity. What are some open doors for us? How about Christmas caroling? Right? Get a group together from the church, and we're going to go Christmas caroling. And you say, hey, I've got a neighbor that needs the gospel. And so you call Pastor Mike and say, hey, Pastor Mike, the teens are going Christmas caroling, right? Right. When are you going? Okay. Hey, listen, would you come by my house, sing a few, and then I'll lead you guys over to my neighbor. And then you guys can sing some for my neighbor. Maybe read a little bit of the Christmas story or a, a verse about Christ being uh, the Savior and, and the meaning of, of Christmas and sing some Christmas carols. And a lot of people are open at Christmas time." We have gospel tracts that are are Christmas-themed, and you can just go up to somebody and say, hey, Merry Christmas, and just hand them a gospel tract. You know, a couple of years ago, we had a fall festival Um, It was on a fifth Sunday. It happened to be October 31st. It was Halloween. So we had a fall festival. We're going to have, we have a fifth Sunday in October. Again, it's on the 29th this year. Uh, We're going to do the same thing. We're going to have all kinds of activities and different things here at the church as an opportunity to touch people with the gospel, to to make some, some contacts with people, to build some relationships and maybe even engage in some gospel conversations that day. Do you realize that that was the Hanson's first time that they, uh, that they were exposed to our church? They have half a mile from us. They would drive by our church all the time. But at fall festival, they said, hey, let's go check out and see what's happening. We've been, we've been curious about that church and they came and now they're here and actively involved ministering uh, in our local assembly. Isn't that a blessing? And so there are opportunities like that. Get involved in that. Be a part of that. But you know, one of the things that came up in our planning was, well, hey, Pastor Todd, normally, uh, you know, care groups used to meet more like towards when we had our evening service. And some people came in and expressed a concern and said, look, we have a lot of people that do trick-or-treating in our neighborhood and we've always used it as an opportunity that when people come to trick-or-treat, when kids come to trick-or-treat, we not only give them candy or whatever the treat is, but we also give them a gospel tract. We don't want to miss out on that. We get an opportunity to pass out a bunch of gospel tracts on that evening and we want to be able to do that. That's, a, that's an open opportunity right there. Just like Paul and Silas had some common sense, open opportunities. There you go. We're going to be doing Blueburn uh, Days uh, outreach on uh, Saturday, October the 14th, where you can come with your family and, and you can come for a half an hour or an hour or, or stay all day as long as we're going to be in there Whatever you'd like and talk to folks and, and share with them about Brian and share your, your testimony of salvation and inquire into their spiritual needs and just reach into the community. There are opportunities for us, open opportunities, and we need to take them just like Paul and... Uh, Paul and Barnabas did. Faithful servants share the word of God. Faithful servants anticipate receptive hearts. Look at verse 7. The Bible said, well, listen to verse 6, because it kind of introduces into verse 7. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, Paphos was actually the capital city. It's from which the governor, which is Sergius Paulus, ruled the entire island. Okay? Uh, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with or attached to the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man. Look at this. Who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, the Holy Spirit called Saul and Barnabas for this mission, right? Do you think that they expected that there were going to be receptive hearts? Yes. Hey, listen, has God called us to the Great Commission? Yes. Should we not then also expect some hearts to be receptive to the gospel? Yes. Absolutely. And Sergius Paulus called for them. They didn't say, hey, listen, you know, can we talk to Sergius Paulus' secretary? We'd like to set up an appointment to meet with him. We have something important to tell him. No, Sergius Paulus hears the gospel being preached because they're on the east side They're in the big, it's still a big city in Salamis. And then the middle part of the island was mountainous. So they came along the southern coast and there had been other cities and towns, I'm sure, where they preached the word of God until they got to Paphos. Paphos was on the southwestern side of the island. And it was that that another large city and and, and actually the the capital or the ruling province from which Sergius Paulus uh, ruled. And so they're headed that way. Sergius Paulus somehow hears of it and he sends for them. He was, a, he was a, 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 an intelligent, wise man. And he eagerly sent. When it says that, he, that in verse 7, the Bible says he desired. That word desired means to be eager. It means to be earnest. He was hungry. He was thirsty to hear God's truth. Folks, there are people out there that are hungry for the bread of life. They are thirsty for the living water. And some of them are beginning to realize only Jesus Christ, only a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is going to fill that need. Some of them are just sensing something in my life's not right. There's something bigger than the, just this life. There's beginning maybe to be some sort of a warning or foreboding in their soul or just a desire to know the God who created all of this and God is doing a work in their lives. I believe that that God had been doing a work in Sergius Paulus' life already and he was receptive. And folks, we who are faithful servants of the Lord ought to expect receptive hearts to the gospel. There will always be people who are open to the gospel. Have you even thought of this? Are people going to be saved during the tribulation? Yes. How many? An innumerable host Folks are going to get saved during the tribulation. Now there are some people, as God pours out his righteous wrath in judgments on the earth, that they know that that's exactly what's happening, that God is judging the earth with these, with these different judgments. And they are going to gnaw their tongues in pain and curse God. Instead of realizing this is the almighty, omnipotent, only God who I've been rebelling against and sinning against, and I need to repent and submit to him and believe on him. Instead, they will gnaw their tongues in pain and they will curse him. But God's going to have two prophets in Jerusalem that are going to preach the truth. He's going to have 144,000 chosen witnesses. Not the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. These are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they are going to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel. And there's going to be an innumerable host of people saved during that seven years. And folks, there are folks for us to reach. Do you realize, Christian, that the reason you're still alive is because God has a mission for you? If God, if your mission on earth was done and God was finished with you, what do you think would happen to you? God would take you home to heaven, that's what. But God has you alive because he still has a mission for you to accomplish. Are you being faithful to seek to fulfill that mission? You know, if nobody else was going to get saved until the tribulation, do you think that God would just want us to sit around twiddling our thumbs and just waiting for the rapture? We don't know when that's going to be. Listen, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But what does it say right then before that? The Lord is long-suffering to us word. God in his patience is still giving men opportunity to repent and believe. We need to be faithful with the gospel. Because you know what? We're still alive. We still have a mission. The mission is the Great Commission. Therefore, there are still people that God wants us to tell the gospel to. And they're going to get saved. Now, we may only plant the seed. We may not see them saved. We may only water the seed. We may not see them saved. We may get to plant water and reap in the harvest and see them saved. But that's God's business. Our business is to be faithful. But we should expect that there will be some who will have receptive hearts. And then faithful servants expect opposition to the gospel. Read with me verses 6 to 11. The Bible says they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent or an intelligent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief. Thou, child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. See, by Jesus means son of Jesus. Jesus Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament name Joshua which means God is savior. So he's saying his name our Jesus means son of the savior. But what does Paul call him through the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit? You're the son of the devil. He wasn't the son of God. He was not the son of the savior. He was the son of the devil. Elemis means a wise man or a magician. I like the King James translation, sorcerer. He dealt with demonic power. And by that power and by his own philosophy, him being a Jew, he was only one culturally, for he had rejected the Old Testament scriptures. Why do you believe he is opposing Paul and, and Barnabas as they are explaining the gospel to Sergius Paulus? Because he got paid by Sergius Paulus. He was on his paid staff as an advisor and he wielded great power over Sergius Paulus and he got a lot of money paid to him for his powers and his guidance. And he tried to train Sergius Paulus in his own philosophy which was antithetical to the gospel. And so he is actively withstanding. As a matter of fact, the Bible says... In his aggressive opposition, that he wanted to turn them away uh, from the faith, and Paul talks about he perverted the right ways of the Lord. The word "pervert" literally means to make crooked, so he was trying to make crooked or trying to divert the straight way or the truth of God as he opposes them. He tried to, and the word this is interesting too. And he talks about to turn away; it also means to distort or to twist someone's words. So he was purposely misrepresenting the gospel, reinterpreting what Barnabas and Paul were telling Sergius Paulus in an attempt to dissuade Sergius Paulus from believing because he knew that if Sergius Paulus did, he wouldn't have a job. And he would lose all that power and all that influence and all of that prestige. When Saul, led by the Holy Spirit, confronts Elimelech, he says, You are full of all subtlety. That's the word for guile. And that word, literally the root word of that word, subtlety, is the word for bait. The word for mischief is fraud. He purposely taught lies for money, power, influence, and prestige. He was a fraud. A son of the devil. An enemy of righteousness. Therefore, he was an enemy of God. Trying to bend and make crooked the straight truth of the word of God, twisting and perverting the gospel message, trying to change Paul's mind and pervert him from the truth. It's interesting because Paul proclaims God's judgment on Elemas, but even in that judgment, there is mercy. Notice that Paul says you will be blind for a season. Elemas experiences directly divine intervention and punishment by God. Again, this is not Paul striking him with blindness. Paul is only speaking at the direction of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who put this blindness on Elamis. But Paul tells him this is only for a season. Why? I believe he is giving Elimus an opportunity to consider his ways, to repent, and to believe on Messiah. Even in the enemies of the gospel, don't be surprised, folks when people belittle you, when they try to twist your words, when they challenge your intelligence and misrepresent your motives. That's exactly what Elemas did to Barnabas and to Saul. But we need to remember the words of our Lord Jesus when he said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5, 44. And then last of all, faithful servants believe that people will trust Christ as Savior, look at verse twelve. Then the deputy, this is Sergius Paulus, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. As amazing as this miracle was that God struck Elemis blind, that is not what the Bible records. Sergius Paulus was astonished at this idea. Of astonished is to be consumed, to be. Marveling, to be amazed, to behold in wonder. He was overwhelmed with awe at the truth of the gospel. And the Bible says he believed. And we need to take God's word literally. He believed. Sergius Paulus is in heaven, and we'll see him one day. And folks, we need to believe that God will save that people will trust Christ as their Savior. Maybe your need this morning is to trust Christ as your Savior. You say, well, will God save me? I mean, I've heard the gospel, but it's only been a mental thing that I've understood. But today, God is speaking to me in a personal way in my heart, in my soul. And I'm understanding that I have have sinned against a holy God who loves me that I I have broken his law and offended him with my sin and and I deserve to die for all of eternity in the lake of fire as the just punishment that I deserve, that divine sentence on my sin. But I also understand today that this is not just theory, this is real. Jesus is the son of God, he is real. He has a life today. He knows me, he loves me and when he died on the cross and shed his blood and, and was buried and rose again, he did it for me. And you can call on Christ and you can receive eternal life today. God can save you. You say, can God save somebody like me? Hey, listen, the Lord's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is air heavy that that he cannot hear. You say, yeah, but you don't know the things I've done. Yeah, but God does. And he does not put a bunch of exceptions in his word and said, well, if you've done this or you've not done that, then I'll save you. No, the Bible says in John 3, 16, very familiar verse, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. That's you. whosoever. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ personally? If you haven't, I'd encourage you today to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In a couple of minutes, we're going to have an invitation. I'll be down here in the front. The other pastors will be at the head of the other aisles. We'll stand, our heads will be bowed, our musician will play a hymn of invitation. We'll only have a couple of stanzas. But if that is your heart's desire and you say, I need God's gift of salvation. I want to know that my my eternity is settled with him. Then come today, like Sergius Paulus, be, be eager, be earnest, seek after God. He has promised those that seek me early earnestly shall find me. He will save you. For those of us who are saved, hey, listen, are you faithfully serving God right now? If you say, well, if I only had this opportunity, if I only had that opportunity, if my circumstances were only a little bit different. No, serve God in the circumstances in which he has placed you right now. Be faithful. It may be something small. It may be something simple, but serve God now. And if you're not, then make a commitment this morning. God, I'm gonna find a place where I can serve you. And Lord, bring Baptist place. It is an ideal place for me to find a place to start serving you. And, Lord, I'm going to start. I'm committing that I will start serving you with something, no matter how small. I want to be faithful, and I want to observe those who who do serve and, and who lead, and I want to learn from them, and I want you to use my life. Lord, you took a guy like John Mark that was just willing to be an assistant and do whatever Barnabas and Saul needed, and you turned him into a great warrior of the faith. Lord, I'm willing to start small, and I'm willing for you to use me however you see fit. Lord, if you call me, I'll go. That's a hard one. Matter of fact, the guy that told me yesterday that they're going to leave to go help in this other ministry, in this other area, said, I've been fighting the Lord for several months on this because I don't want to go in a sense. But I know the Lord wants me to go. And now He's beginning to change my heart, and I understand that we need to go, and now I'm starting to want to go. And I praise the Lord for that. But you know, you need to be willing to go when sin. You know, we are only God's servants. We are pawns on his chessboard, if you will. He has the right to move us wherever he wants and to use us however he sees fit. So keep your heart and your mind open to God. I'm not saying God's leading you away from Berean. I hope not. I'd love to keep you here. But if God has trained you and invested in you here, and there is another harvest field where he wants you to labor and you're faithfully serving God now, then if it builds the kingdom of Christ and it reaps eternal benefits, then may God bless you as you obey him. Him, but faithful servants go when called. But faithful servants share God's word. Are you faithfully sharing the gospel? We have track racks on either side of the back hallways. Grab a handful of tracks and use them. Purpose and start praying about who you can actually begin to build a relationship with and talk to about the gospel. Anticipate receptive hearts, anticipate opposition. Maybe some of you have become discouraged. Maybe it's extended family that has had such a violent reaction against your testimony and your gospel witness that you just said, hey, I'm done. I'll just pray for them. And certainly we need to pray for them. And certainly it's not at every family reunion we're standing on a soapbox and we're preaching the gospel to all of our relatives. But would you be willing, if God would open up the door, to share the gospel, even if you're going to expect opposition? Because maybe... God's going to lead that person to repentance, just like God gave Elmas an opportunity to repent in his mercy. Maybe some of those who have been violently opposed to you, maybe God's changing their hearts. And we should expect that there are people who will believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior. So let's pray that way. Let's serve that way. Let's reach out that way. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray and then we'll stand. As a believer, God spoke to your heart this morning and you would say, I need to make a definite decision and commitment to the Lord. I know that you can stand right there at your pew and, and pray and do that and that's fine. But if you would like to come forward and kneel and just really turn these steps into an altar and present yourself on it. If there's something or someone really burdening your heart this morning, you just really have a sense of urgency to come forward and pray for them, then please do that. If you say, well, I can't kneel anymore, but you could come and sit on this front row and pray. If you would like to do that, we'd welcome you. If you'd say, hey, I need some biblical counsel. I need some help. I want to do right. I just need equipped in doing that. Please come and see one of the pastors. We would be glad to get you that help. And if you're not sure where your soul would spend eternity, while the music is playing, we're standing with our heads bowed, would you just make your way forward to one of us, And just say, hey, I want to settle things with God. We'll know exactly what you mean. We'll have somebody, men with men, ladies with ladies. They'll take you to a quiet, private place. Sit down and in a few minutes, they'll show you the way of salvation from God's word. Answer any questions you have. And you can call on Christ in just a simple prayer of trust this morning. And you can leave here knowing your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. God will save you if you place your faith in his son. Heavenly Father, this morning, Now do that work which only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. Glorify yourself, save souls, and transform the lives of your children, we pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Would you stand at this time as our musician begins to play our song of invitation?